I'm Patrick Bader, your host of Valuetainment. In today's sit-down, I have a conversation with Katie Hopkins, a very controversial figure in UK where we cover Brexit, we cover Trump, we cover Nigel Farage. Look, this is a great episode for somebody that doesn't really know what's going on in EU. She gives you a complete different perspective of what's really taking place with Brexit. So one of the things I want to do with the Valuetainment audience is kind of get us educated on what's happening around the world. I know a lot of times it's a lot of US interviews we do. I decided to go to London. We are in London right now and meet with somebody who I think every time she tweets something half of UK goes crazy on what she says she's got a lot of different nicknames a lot of things people call her uh, Katie Hopkins we're gonna talk about uh, people who don't like exercise too much we're gonna talk a little politics we're gonna talk a little bit about moms maybe a little bit of feminism a little bit of taxes Brexit a little bit of all that stuff today with Katie Hopkins. Katie, <laughs> thank you so much oh, not at for all. making the time. I really enjoyed the latte we had earlier. We did. I introduced you to latte. You are amazing, well, but it's not coffee, right? It was a decaf. So, no, no, you don't drink coffee, so we've had to slightly backpedal on that, that it definitely wasn't a coffee that I gave you. And, and what was interesting is, Katie says, you know, I have a tendency of losing things. You know, <laughs> I just have a tendency of leaving things behind. I said, I'm, I'm so embarrassed to say, I just lost my wallet. And she says no. So she was kind enough. We called the driver. She's talking to the driver and the people. They were just a whole different experience. But, but we again, found your wallet. Yeah, we found my we wallet. We found your wallet. We and found that's my the wallet. instant thing is, is when I have somebody who's yes. now a, an instant friend, I have to, I will fight like a little lioness to, to solve their problems. That was amazing so seeing you in action, by the way. See, yeah. that's the stuff that people don't see behind uh, camera on, on how somebody is. That was just fascinating to oh. see that. No, so, but I'll fix it. If yeah, there's a problem, I can fix it. So why don't, why don't we get into it? You, I, I look at people and I I study personalities because I'm curious. I'm so curious by how people are and what made them the way they are. You're somebody that's, uh, you seem very comfortable in your own skin and the opinions that you, you say things that rattles a lot of uh, mm. people out there. Uh, before going into some of your opinions, this is a simple question for you. If you and I were in high school together, <laughs> you're 16, 17, I'm 16, 17. Who's Katie Hopkins? <laughs> At high school, 1617, Katie Hopkins is, never talk about yourself in the third person, right? Um, uh, is finding school pretty easy, so it's, it's not hard to, to get straight A's as it was then, before you had A stars. Uh, I'm in the netball team, I've done my grade eight violin, my grade eight piano. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, stuff's not hard for me in terms of doing, getting the grades I'm supposed to get and getting the marks I'm supposed to get and having certificates for my parents to put on the wall. And I'm uh, walking to and from school every day. I have a normal family house with a mum and dad that are still together now, amazingly, all these years later. Uh, I've always been together. Mum's um, a housewife and my father worked on the electrical pylons, like the overhead cable. So super normal girl and my high school was run by nuns, which is the one thing. Come so I on. went to a Catholic, yeah, I know. So for all of my hideous reputation uh, in many <laughs> different regards, I, went, I was brought up by nuns. So I, I hold the nuns largely responsible for my poor behavior ever since. Blame it on the nuns. It's, Always. It's, it's, and I never knew, like, who decided that nuns could teach? Like someone just went, ah, oh, a nun, she must be a teacher. Like, what, well, who does that? that who decided nuns yeah, could teach? Like, question. no one ever decided that for monks, particularly. You never had boys' schools run by monks. But anyway, yes, I went to a convent girls' school and I was never allowed to be the Virgin Mary <laughs> for any number of reasons. But at the Christmas play, you could only be Virgin Mary if you were a Catholic. And I had my, so I'm left-handed. Mm -hmm. I used to, Sister Bede, Form 3, I still remember her. Uh, she used to tie my left hand up behind my back because good people wrote with their right hand. Because good people roll yeah, with the Yeah, I'm only 42 hand. as well. I'm telling stories like I'm 68. Wow. Yeah, hardcore And score. you remember that. You oh, remember that vividly. Yeah, I can remember that whole being, having to stay in and practice writing with a hand I don't write with. I grew up thinking left-handed people were special people. Like, yeah, they, they always had, no, I'm being serious with you, like, they have an edge. Like, <laughs> we do. it's a chip. Like, hey, I'm different, and that yes. makes me... Yes, and I have a daughter that's just like me. She's left-handed, too. No, I definitely identify with left-handed people, but maybe that's why the nuns wanted to 
you know, be kind of push you around you. a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. So in your family, if I'm having dinner at your house, mom, dad, electrical mm. engineer, mm -hmm. stay home mom, were there debates? Did you talk politics? Did you no. talk sports? Nothing. So no. one thing at five to five, you'd be sat down and I'd be sat down, my sister, my mom, and then my dad would sit down at five o'clock, dinner, always, no change. Five o'clock dinner what on the table. What was the conversation? I don't even remember us talking about stuff. We must have talked about school and normal things. Normal there was not, things. It wasn't this Got kind it. of crazy debate. So it's not like thing. sit there and say, did you hear what he said? What do you think about this political no. thing that's going on? Not at all. Not at all. And certainly with my kids now, I know that we can talk about all sorts yeah. of things. And I'll ask them, oh, did you see about you know the volcano? Mm. Or did you hear about the... Um, and I'll check that they have dialed into stuff I think they should know. But I don't remember that about my childhood. I do remember and not being able to leave my plate until it was finished, 100%. Was that mom, dad, or both? M both. Who was the discipline? Both of them, but particularly, okay. we were scared of my dad in terms of, you know, he was the, the figure of the family yeah. that you were, you didn't mess with. And I don't, I don't regret that or want to change that. That was how it was. We knew where we stood. Uh, steak and kidney pie. That's what I remember, the bits of kidney, sitting, looking at them, wondering how to get out of that. So very normal, very standard, very... <clears throat> it's why I quite like order, discipline, people doing what makes sense in order to get an end result because with a lot of my growing up, do enough of the work, you'll get an A, no problem. Play the violin hard enough, you'll get a distinction at grade eight, no problem. Like I understand what you have to systems. do. Yes, yeah, systems, processes, rules. And mm. you were comfortable with that. I get them. You know, my dad said, uh, uh, we have three kids, six, five and a two-year-old. My dad says kids need systems because it's a level of predictability that gives them trust and peace. Mm. So it's amazing how you're saying that with I systems and processes. I think it's true and I, I almost wonder whether my super normal, super normal upbringing, you know, when mom and dad really, dad, you know, worked a lot of hours to be able to get me and my sister to the school that mm -hmm. I slightly took the mickey mm -hmm. out of. But, you know, maybe that super normal upbringing is what gives you enough space in your head and your mind to then go on and kind of burst out. Where did bit. the chip come out? Where did the chip come? Because almost everybody I see that's chippy or a, a <laughs> little bit confrontational, comfortably confrontational, kind of like yourself, yes. there is an event, there is something happened that, you know, triggered something. I don't know what it was. I mean, I know you, for yourself, when you were coming up, you wanted to go to Oxford, something's happened yes. there, and then you want to do military, you went military, there was something's health-wise at the end. Yes. When did your chippiness, when, what event, was there any event that you remember or no? Yeah, I think uh, my chippiness is because at 17, I uh, was diagnosed with epilepsy or suspected epilepsy, and that was the start of a 20-year epilepsy, wow. kind of a lifetime years. with epilepsy until recently, um, and those fits got more and more significant. So it's almost always been, all of my life actually, hiding an illness that I didn't want anyone to know about, overcoming the things that may have kept me back because of that epilepsy, and then determined to be better than that and be anybody else. And that's definitely where my chippiness is. That's why I had to leave after I passed out of Sandhurst because they found out I had epilepsy. Um, and it's what I've been pretending I didn't have all of my life whilst going on and being on The Apprentice or being this person or standing up mm. and speaking to 2,000 people. It's always been about, you don't know I'm epileptic. You don't know I dislocated both my arms in the night with a fit. And look, I'm, this is me. And so running and all of that stuff, all the fitness stuff was always about being, knowing that actually secretly I was probably weaker than a lot of people, but needing to wow. have a front that was ultimately strong. Wow, and that's, that's, uh, that's so interesting. I think you said something where every 10 days, your arms, your elbows would, and that lasted for like, what, two years, a couple of years that lasted, that you were going through? It was through? in that back end of my, so I don't have fit, how squeamish are you? No. Okay, so this is not too weird. I'm not okay. about to put your hand somewhere really bad. <laughs> I saw the fear in your eyes, like, where's this hand going? So, that's oh the top my of my God. head, and that's my brain. Are you kidding me? So I'm like a little egg now with no shell. That's the surgery? The surgery that cured me of the epilepsy, so I no longer have I any mean, it fits. it is soft. It's that's not my brain. That's your brain I touch, right? Yes. So they go in with a circular saw. There was a team of 12. It took like 18 hours. And they saw the top of your head off. And then they open up your skull. They go in. I don't know what this is. I presume it's some sort of shovel. <laughs> they go in like a miner in a, in a tunnel. And they, they got out this sort of tumour thing that was causing my epilepsy. Got rid of it. Then they do put that flat back in. But mine went really manky. 
which is a medical term for meningitis. And so they went back in and threw it away. So that's just my brain. I just trot about with. So what do they tell so you have to my protect, for, to safety? What, what are oh, I can get a titanium one. There's one in the printer already at the okay. hospital. So a titanium rooftop. What was the risk? Was it, was it to the point where you were so sick and tired of experiences for 20 years, like, I'm either going to do it, it may cost me my life, but I can't yes. live like that. Were, were yes. you at that point? Yeah, so I had a two years was the span. They said that a fit would get me within a two-year time frame. And so every morning, because I used to be on the road, on the road, on the mm -hmm, road, mm -hmm. determined, I would text my mum, I'm here, and text my husband, I'm here. And it's funny, I still go to go to my phone now and go, I'm here, but then I'm like, I, I don't need to tell anyone I'm here, they know I'm here. Because that was just about letting people know I'd, I'd got through the night. So I was just saying I'm here in the morning because wow. my mum would need to check. And then, yeah, my fits used to dislocate both my arms out of their sockets, but I've had them re-sewn on now, so I'm like, Terminator Hopkins. And you're good now. Um, you feel good. This is, yeah, like the, this is part of the other reason for this phase is now I'm like I'm of, of epic proportions in my head because I've got a whole new life. What's changed? What, what have you noticed after the procedure changed that maybe you didn't have before? I can go to sleep and not fear. I wake up and don't have to text people that I'm alive. I don't have to wonder if I'll have arms in the morning or not. I don't bite my tongue off anymore. But that's why small things like being called names, they have a, on a scale of perspective, I, I've been gifted perspective. And doesn't bother you? Life has some enormity to it, and brain surgery is fairly enormous, so it was left, hold on, left, left arm, the deficit, so you could lose your left arm, left leg, sight or speech were my risks. So I got all of that back. So I, I, that's why I feel like I have a purpose. Oh my gosh, of course, especially if your gift is speaking and communicating a message that you have in your, in your, in your mind. It's like uh, taking a person who's a writer and you take their arms out. How am I gonna express myself? Yes. So it's a very powerful thing. My good friend, Robert Green, author, he just finished his book, Laws of Human Nature, and he had a big stroke right after finishing the book. And his entire mm -hmm. left side, when you see the interview, this is how he moves his arm. This is how because, he moves, he moves yes. his leg like that. And we were talking, I said, uh, he's, he sincerely seemed concerned because it's Patrick. The way I've been expressing myself last 30 years is through writing. Yes. And he's, you know, and you can see the struggle of somebody that's got so much to offer, but they're going through it. So I, yes. I, I can see how that probably had an effect on. Well, that's I'm glad. Uh, thank you for sharing that. With, oh, no, uh, not uh, at all. I don't speak about <coughs> it very much because A, it's long and convoluted, and B, it's a side of me that I always kept hidden. So it doesn't really come into play. Um, but I think it's a secret that I kept for so long, and now I'm better. Maybe I'm able to talk about it because I don't feel strange anymore. So sometimes, for example, I, I had to make a 180 of my life, right? I was a kid that was coming up and I was seen as this guy who was a party guy. You go party with me, you're gonna have a great time and we're gonna go do all this stuff. And then one day I switched and so all my circle, everybody who knew me was like, wait a minute, what happened to you? We don't <laughs> like this new guy. Why are you so serious? Why are you so determined to go out there and win? I had a chip myself as well on an experience that took place. Do you think, the world expected Katie to be Katie, and is there anything about Katie that you want to change now, or you're comfortable with yeah. the Katie that was before and the Katie that is, is there a yes. Katie 3.0, 4.0? <laughs> I think this is an evolution now. Um, so I don't think I've done a 180, but I think I've allowed this other me, this, this epileptic me, the me that worried about not being around for my kids, the me that uh, was uh, in the casualty or A&E or ER to your guys uh, at three in the morning having her shoulders put back in. You know, that I've allowed her to catch up or maybe I've allowed big, strong Katie to come back and, and those two people be uh, like identifying the same person. I've allowed those two people to be the same, hence I'm able to speak about this openly. Um, I wouldn't ever bore someone with this at dinner, just for reassurance, if anyone's ever thinking of inviting me to dinner, it's not a story I tell. But I've allowed those two people now to join up and I think it's a much more honest me and it's also a me that other people they get this part of me. You know, I wrote about it in my book and, and people then went on and bought the book for like their friends who maybe were undergoing chemo or a really horrible divorce or had just lost their job and were feeling rubbish about themselves. And it became a kind of book for people that saw, actually, we all have a bit of a rubbish time and we can come on after that. So it became like a nice thing. Unfortunately, most of us are not comfortable bringing it out and talking about it because 
we have to have that facade and mm. cover ourselves up because in case we show a certain level of weakness, because mm. you know the whole saying, you can never show weakness, never yeah. show hurt, never show this. And I agree with that still. I do as well. Yeah. I 100% do. But I, I do. But I, I, I think from my perspective is I like a person's human side. When I see it and I say, wow, I respect your opinions, but I now connect with you on the human side. Mm. I don't connect with you on, let's just say, uh, 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 whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. opinion you got yeah. on what, what yeah. life, but I connect with you with the pain. Yes. I'm there, so at least we have something yes. in common. And I think that's true for a lot of people that know a bit about me or know me or have met me or meet me in the street and they can say, oh, I thought I hated you, but actually, or they'll come and listen to a talk and I get people at the start, right, hands up who thinks I'm a cow, you know, and the whole room will be like, oh, or people will start to be bravely like, yeah, yeah I think you're a yeah. cow. And, um, but then by the end, people will come up and say, it's really annoying now. I came here and I really wanted to hate you. And I realized <laughs> I can't hate you as much as I thought I did. So there's that. But, um, but I still say, you know, that the, our lives are such that the evolution of a person, you know, at a certain age, you can be this person. I've been able to reconcile epileptic me and big, bold, annoying me. And that's the same now. But, but for those early years, the 20s, the 30s, do I regret being that bolshy, nothing's going to stop me, epilepsy won't beat me person. No, not at all. I think they were, that was intrinsic to surviving. Would I wanted to be, yeah. be sorry for myself and take disability benefits and tell employers I've got epilepsy so they didn't hire me? Not a chance. Well, not respect, a chance. respect for you to stay true to your core principles, mm. which is solid. So why don't we go into that sure. and talk about some of those uh, principles. It's a wide range, right? And I think, why don't we just start off with something basic right now? We'll talk about different topics and you give me your thoughts and yeah. we'll banter a little bit and we'll go to the next topic yeah. and the next topic. Let's start off with something where, you know, it, my goal a lot of times with entrepreneurs, there's a lot of, you hear people that say, there's one thing I don't do, I don't do uh, politics. I don't even want to follow it. I don't want to do anything. I'm sorry, if you're an entrepreneur, you're paying taxes, you better pay attention to politics because one regulation could affect your business. I can't tell you how many CEOs call me and they tell me, well, you know, this one regulation changed the game for me and our revenues dropped 40%. Well, you mm -hmm. should pay attention to some of the stuff that's mm -hmm. going on and rather than just saying, well, I'm not going to do anything with this. So let's talk Brexit and let's talk EU. This is an event that took place a couple of years ago and I think there's like seven other countries right now that are trying to separate themselves from the EU. Somebody watches this on uh, uh, YouTube. They watch this other places. They hear EU, Brexit. Why are countries part of EU? What is the benefit of being part of EU? And then let's talk about Brexit. Mm -hmm. Why are some countries wanting to be part of EU? EU, this idea that you can join a group and you are better in than you are out. You're better as a group where you're combining your mm -hmm. strengths as nations, that you work together so you have common security, common rules and regulations, common understanding, that idea, which sounds very noble, a common market and a common currency, the euro. But as a staunch Brexiteer, so I get called the female Farage quite a lot, which is annoying because he has really bad teeth. So on the 23rd of June 2016, we voted to leave. 17.4 uh, million of us voted to leave. Really great people. people. So England and the United Kingdom is made up of two places. One place is called London. Mm -hmm. Londonistan, as I call it, for obvious reasons, as you'll have seen coming from the airport. And the rest of it is called the rest of the UK, where I live, where lovely people live, where regular Brits live, people that I really identify with. And for people in the rest of the UK, a lot of us voted leave. And what's been very traumatic is spending two years, which we're at now, still waiting, still not getting to actually leave. Brexit hasn't happened and it looks increasingly like it won't. And that's a very challenging thing for many of us because it challenges our very belief in democracy itself and our social contract. But the question is, why did we want to belong? Why do some people want to belong? You know, some people, the people that live here in London that are doing very well, thank you, are, you know, the elites, the establishment, the people that are very wealthy living in the biggest houses in the centre of London, old London. Who are pro-staying with they're you? They're pro-staying because their lives are great, they're, they're rich, they have lives that they don't want to stir up. If something's working, why change it? Mm. You get out into the periphery, the rest of the UK, where we are overwhelmed with migrants. You can't get an appointment for your dad at the doctor's because there's too many people on the wait list. You can't get your children into the school down the road because the wait list is overwhelmed. And you start to really feel like you want your country back. And that was the divide between London, the rest of the UK and the people that I know.
So, but Katie, so what is the benefit of being part of EU? So, I mean, I understand, uh, you know, it's 28 nations minus Britain, let's just say 27, whatever way they put the numbers. What is the real benefit of being part of EU? Um, I think the real benefit that people see is that they can have the fluid movement of people. They say it's a massive benefit to be able to move freely across the whole of the EU, that you don't need to have a visa, you can go and work there, you can live there, and mm. we can benefit from migration into our country. They say that there is a net benefit to be gained from every migrant that comes to this country. Obviously, There's a net benefit we get from every migrant that comes to this country. country. That's what they say. say. And of course, I would say the opposite of that. And we end up stuck in this sort of place where you say one thing, I say the other, but neither side is listening nor changing each other's views. Is it a method where the EU will say, hey, Croatia, you got to take these 100,000 refugees and yes. you have no choice? Yes. And if I'm Croatia, I don't have a choice. No, you don't so have a it's choice. Benefit, you're part of EU. We, if we were a country, we are the third largest, most powerful military in the world combined if we're part of EU. But if you are part of EU, you have to do whatever we tell Take you that. to do. So I'm Angela Merkel, although obviously I'm not, because I'm not ginger, <laughs> I'm not autistic, and I couldn't kill both my parents in the night, still turn up in a pantsuit in Brussels at 7am, which Merkel could do without any challenge whatsoever, because she's crazy. But if I'm Merkel, I've taken 2.5 million migrants from God knows where, half of whom might be jihadis. I can now say to you, and you are hungry, take these people. And you have to say yes, although luckily... Hungary and Orban have said, no, we won't. <laughs> so I love Hungary. I love Poland. So that's the challenge. The challenge that's is the challenge. you're forced to make you're the belong, choice. Yeah, yeah. You belong, so you get the military, you get the security, you get the shared airspace, shared understanding of this, you get right. the technological advantage, sharing in science, you get migrants, blah, blah, blah. But the disadvantage is you get told what you have to do. You have to pay your money. You have to pay in, even though you might not receive it. And, for example, the French can fish in our waters, which my Cornish fishermen friends aren't particularly You can only touch, what, 20% of it, right? What's the, the, the number that's out there on your own water you can't go we fish? Can't, yeah, except yeah. That just makes and no Matt sense Cron to me. And Macron just came out and said, we are still going to fish in your waters when you leave. So We the, are still going to fish in your waters when you Spain leave. And Spain just came out and said, and we expect to take some sovereignty back on Gibraltar. Well, let me ask you this. What's the worst thing that can happen if Brexit does actually become a reality? What is the worst thing that can happen in Europe? Uh, the worst thing that can happen, I see no, but I see no bad thing that can happen. The only thing that could happen to me is it encourages a whole bunch of other people to leave, which is precisely why they don't want us to leave. And I think the great thing, the, the media keep using the narrative, we crash out of the EU. We crash out mm. with no deal. We don't crash anywhere. No airplanes are going to come falling from the sky. We will politely leave in a very British way, apologise when someone else stands on our foot, and we just walk out the door. You know, that's what no deal means. We don't even have to pay to leave. But for some God only knows reason our establishment won't let us leave. I is truly it, think Brexit won't happen. Is it the worry that's going to be 27 against one? Is that what the worry is? Is it a worry of war? Is the worry of, you know, trade issues where people are not going to want to do business? Is it going to affect the money people, the mm. establishment, it's wealthy the in London? People, what yes, is the, it's the wealthy in London. Status quo works for them. The situation as it, as it is now works for them. Okay. Why mess with what you don't need to mess with? For the financial markets, it's a prudent thing to be part of the EU. Why destabilise that? Why, why challenge something that's working? So in America right now, obviously, we're going through with China. You've seen the tariffs on what's taking place there. And some established CEOs are concerned saying, hey, you know what, we're being affected by this because this is trade. Like, we, we want to do business with them. They produce product for us cheaper. They do this, they do that. And Trump is saying, well, yes, at the same time, these guys have been taking advantage of us for so yes. many years that we're standing ground. So I can see what the business owner is concerned about yes. currently right now. Is that similar to what uh, the Brexit situation would be with EU? Yes, the okay. anxiety. Yeah. Of, well, always change. Change in any business model is it creates some level of disturbance in the business. Sure. It's hard to make projections. It's hard to make long-term or, or cash flow even. Forecast for cash flow is, is a difficult thing to do when there's going to be change or a dynamic in the business that you can't plan for. But I think sometimes in life we learn you have to take short-term pain in order to, and it's what America's trying to do with China, I think, take some short-term pain in order to establish yourself as someone that isn't going to have these huge trade deficits mm -hmm. where China is clearly taking the mickey out of America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you're seeing that, and, and, and yeah. you see it in the numbers. So, for so ideally, Germany too, actually, with America. I, I, I see that as well. I agree. So on, on the EU side, the smaller countries want you to stick around because a Greece is being taken care of, and hey, you're taking care of me. I don't want the big guys to leave because their money is funding us. So 
Is EU helping bail out a lot of small countries as well consistently or no? I mean, I'm such a Brexiteer, you aren't going to get a positive from me on the EU. No, and no, you're probably my question not going to get a reasonable no, answer. No, my question will be the following. It reminds me of taxes, which is the, the, the ones that are working hard, making them, like California, mm-hmm. you're paying 57% in taxes. Mm-hmm. And then you paying that additional 13 and a half for living in California, you're paying some people that are not paying taxes, right? Yeah. So is it the larger countries who are growing, being prosperous, they're taking care of countries like Greece and bailing them out for their bad habits? Is that kind of what's going on with you? Well, I mean, Greece, I mean, to, to my knowledge and having spent time there, you know, Greece was utterly, utterly more or less driven to the point of collapse by the EU because it has these punitive regimes for repayment of debt and Italy's just going through the same. Italy is trying to move its country forward and the EU is penalising them because it's saying no you need to have a budget that helps to pay back your debt whereas Italy wants to expand, it wants to go into kind of a movement of growth and the EU saying no you have to make these contributions, we need to keep your country poor. So I can't I can't honestly, for the life of me, find a positive for the EU, but that's because my feeling of hatred towards the way we've been treated because we have not seen Brexit delivers is so strong. And I, and I would love the whole thing to be broken up. I would love for the EU to, to be broken up, for, for it to fall apart, because I, I cannot abide to see Germany and France telling other countries they have to give up their sovereignty, which is exactly what they were talking about last week. So that's interesting you say that. I guess one of the questions I would have for you would be the following. I, uh, and I don't have an answer for this. I'm just curious to know what you're going to say about this. I went from Iran. We wanted to get a green card to come straight to America. We couldn't get it. We escaped Iran six weeks after Khomeini. We went to Germany. And I lived at a refugee camp for a year and a half. And we had refugees from all over. And this is Germany. And then from there, I come here. So I created jobs in America. This is a good story mm-hmm. of a refugee that ended up creating a good economy in America. What do you do to be able to, because I understand the concern on the other side as well. If we just accept everybody, so what is the solution for it? Because is a solution, in your opinion, 100% no, or is it a better filtering system? And if it is, how do you filter mm. them? Your story is, I mean, it's why people would find it very hard. If I was a Democrat, you'd be a very spiky fish, because I'd be like, oh, I want to love him because he's a refugee, and he came from Iran, and ooh, but then, hold on a minute, he's made millions for people, and he employs vast numbers of people, and you've made yourself extremely successful and made many people very successful, and Democrats would have to go, run away! run away he's done too well for himself that's my summary of democrats for you but for me yes i think uh, what we need is an immigration policy exactly like australia where we don't say okay we'll accept free movement of people from anywhere in europe if you're french or croatian Mm -hmm. or german you can come here you don't have to show anything you just come on in we don't do that anymore we open the uk up to the whole of the world and we say if you're in india and you are brilliant at what you do come show us Come show us, earn the points, a point system of immigration, just like the Australians. And if you've got the skills we need, you're straight in. If you're going to work in our NHS and you're a brilliant doctor, you're straight in. It doesn't matter where you come from. You're welcome to our country. And that point-based immigration system is what Australia's run on and why they've been so successful for years. So an immigration system based on points. Points. It's a point-based immigration system. What value am I bringing to your country? Yes. You do, you come in. Yes. And so I would score very, very poorly right now. I'm of an age where I'm probably I'm over 30 or whatever. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. means you score less points because you're going to be a cost at some point in the near future. You know, do I have, am I going to employ a lot of people? Probably not. I would score very poorly. You, on the other hand, would score magnificently. We'd be trying to drag you here saying, mm-hmm. please come. And that seems to me, that's the perfect system for our country. That sounds like uh, Atlas Shrug is what it sounds like. I, I don't know if you've read Atlas Shrug uh-huh. by Ayn Rand, so the whole John Galt where let's create a community of people of uh, the best talent, right? Is that, are you kind of pro that? Are you? Yeah, well just, and not even the best talent because I think so often people, some people have the best talent and we should definitely grab them. Some people just have this incredible work ethic, which is probably where your parents fit in, knowing a little bit of who you are, mm-hmm. uh, probably where are those uh, are first generation immigrants that came here originally from India, from Africa, from places, they grafted, they were the hardest worker, they would outwork any British person. That kind of spirit is what we need, not just the best talent, but someone who's grafted so hard, <coughs> they want to work. 
that's the sort of people I want. And am I excited that 95% of our Somali immigrants here in the UK are unemployed? No. Am I excited that 80% of our Somali immigrants and females don't even speak English? No. That's a real problem. And it's a problem we need to be talking about. So, So why would somebody pose that idea? Why would somebody say, no, I don't like the idea? Because I'm a racist, xenophobe, bigot, misogynist, white supremacist, Nazi. And you can't possibly suggest people need to be good at something to come to your country because it's not welcoming and it's intolerant. God. But some may say that, you know, you, the whole multicultural thing, wouldn't that go against the multicultural thing? You're not saying that you're against multicultural. No, I'm saying India, come. Pakistan, come. Come here. Singapore, come. If you are great at something, get here. But if you don't mind, if you're a jihadi, right. I'm not that interested as it goes. And if you're a Somali who doesn't want to work and whose eight wives aren't going to mm-hmm. work either, oh, not that bothered about having you either. And if you're going to come across illegally via the channel and pretend you're Iranian, as we've had 32 already this month, oh, no, you're not going to come either. Like some fairly basic principles about what might be good for my country. And that's I think a little bit the makeup of Brexiteers. We aren't actually these crazy racists. We just really quite like some people here that want to work hard and do good things for the country because we actually love Hmm. this country. Like, I properly love my country. I will. I've signed up to fight for my country. I couldn't do it because of my epilepsy. And so I fight in another way now. I love this place. And if you aren't working and you think I want to pay for your health care, no, I don't. Same with my problem with fat people. If you aren't prepared to look after yourself, am I prepared to pay for you? No, I'm not. It's very basic rules for life. Back to my rules. What has changed from what you've seen the last 20 years with UK? Yeah, oh, this place. I don't even recognize the country I grew up in anymore. I don't recognize it. I can land at Heathrow. People land at Heathrow and they say to me, I don't, I don't even know what country I landed in. You walk down a street two blocks from here, you won't know you're in the UK. That, I mean, that is Lebanon up the road. And mm. there's no problem necessarily with that other than it isn't multicultural. We don't have multicultural. It's a word we just got given and we have to pretend it's real. The UK is a nation of ghettos. I could take you now in a car to the Somali quarter. Mm-hmm. I can take you to the Afghan quarter. Mm-hmm. I can take you to the Eritrean area. We are completely divided and everyone brings those old enmities, old rows, old fights with them. I saw this in the migrant camp at Calais when I stayed there. You don't arrive looking for a new life. You arrive wanting to find what you had at home and you bring your old fights with you. I don't recognise this country. I get emails from elderly people, 87-year-olds, and this might be the first time they've gone on their grandchild's Mm. email to write this. And they say that they're glad that their time is nearly up because they won't have to live to see their country fall. That's the heart of this country, is elderly people who don't want to live to see the end point. You know, that's where we're actually at. How do, you, how do you prevent that? Like, you know how you said if we have a point system and you have a point system to attract the best talent from your doctor, your this, your job creator, your hard worker, come on down, you score a point system like Australia mm-hmm. and come down here. Let's just say I do score high. I'm still going to bring my uh, uh, hometown culture, etiquette, rituals. I'm still going to mm-hmm. bring that to but you. But we're so- joined by something then. We're joined because we're joined by the ethic of work. We're joined by needing to probably have a sh- common language that we share at work. We're joined by the fact that you want to bring your family and you want them to belong as opposed to keeping your wives, plural, inside the house. That's what we currently have here. I mean, if you think about New York and L.A., right? In L.A., you have Chinatown. You have uh, a town where it's all Armenians. You have a town where it's, you know, all Hispanics. You have a town... They have Skid Row. No one we talks have Skid about Row. that. Yes, sir. We go to Skid Row. We, we went to Skid Row for many, many... Skid Row's a whole different story. New York, same. Italians, Irish right? They have the same thing going on as well. But if I'm coming, I'm coming to UK, hey, I want to be a citizen of your country one day, but I'm a Muslim. I'm a, uh, you know, a person that grew up Baha'i. My religious beliefs aren't necessarily the Judeo-Christian beliefs no. that I have. You don't mind that part. You don't have a problem with that? Are no. you uncomfortable with the no, be what you want. coming to your country? Be what you want. You can tell me you're a unicorn on Fridays and a vegan on Tuesdays. None of those things matter. They're just parts of who you are. As long as we're com- joined by a vague respect for British values and a notion that you're here to do this country good, how do you find there's that no out, problem. How do, how do you know if I'm uh, on the same page with your values? Because, because work is a key. Work is so an you're, ethos. So you're gauging it based on work. work okay. 
is so, an ethos to me that defines so many of the values that we which we have in common that make us who we are. They make us get up in the morning, turn up, be vaguely civil, probably have a shower at some point during one of those days, and try and learn a language that you can converse with at your place of work. Very fundamental things that we've lost in this country right now. So what if what if let me let me let me give you a completely different perspective. Are you comfortable with this? What if we do the point system, and 300,000 Muslims from Saudi Arabia, from let's just say Dubai, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, hardworking people who believe in entrepreneurship and capitalism. They all score high on the point system that you have in place, but they're all Muslim. You're comfortable if 300,000 of them come here, you have zero problem with that. I, n- not zero problem. There is a problem with that in the sense that I would need to be clear. I would want to be clear with, if you're now representing 300,000 Muslims, we'll go with that. But I'm scoring high on your points. Yes, and I've got that, and I love your points, but I'm going to let you know that Britain is a Christian country with a Christian culture and a Christian heritage. I'm going to let you know that you're free to practice your religion, but at no point will your religion dominate my country. At no point will your right to a mosque override my right to have an art centre that how you've just you taken that, over. Though? You can't control it. It's a tough thing. It's what we're seeing no, here. No, what I'm saying is how do you, you can't control that because... But what you can say is, as they are now doing yeah. uh, with Gert Wilders, with the Freedom Party, is to start to row back on the ability of the Muslim culture to completely take over our own. And that's something we're fighting against all the time. Don't you think I'm that... I'm fighting that. Don't you think Single-handedly. That. <laughs> all Britain, Like this, like an angry woman <laughs> in a paper bag. Well, I mean, you and Nigel are on the same page on a lot of different things. <laughs> I have I better teeth. You have better teeth. That. That's you made it very clear that. at the beginning. Yes. Okay. Isn't that part of the ambitious? Like, if I'm more ambitious than you are and I want my religion to grow more than yours, yes. you, you, can't, you can't prevent that. What well, I I'm haven't more, been doing a good job of preventing no, but it, but I, I need to do a better one. So I'm going to say to you, yes, okay, you can have an Eid message from Sadiq Khan, right. but we're going to have a Christmas message from the Prime Minister. Have you seen Theresa May's Eid message? Literally this year. She looked like she was in a hostage video. She was literally thanking our British Muslims so hard, she looked like she was taken hostage by Al-Qaeda. I said, blink twice if you need help, Theresa, blink even twice. Even your mayor, think about your mayor. I don't even want to think about my mayor. How do you feel about your mayor? As useful as tits on a nun. Yeah, it's pretty useful, useless. Mm. He's, he is... Knife crime up by 75%, murders up by 82%. He is the most useless mayor we have ever had. But because his voter base are Muslim and London is a densely packed Muslim community, he knows he can get back into power. He doesn't need to do anything but placate the Muslim voters who will vote for him. Hence, we had an Eid party just over there down the road at Trafalgar Square. A party thrown for his Muslim voter base because they'll vote for him. Doesn't, but doesn't that, uh, doesn't that mean the point system may not work? Well, no, it means that we need to do a much better job of defending our Christian culture. And very clearly, we've let that fall in the UK. I think the Christian culture is more passive than the... Yes, I agree uh, the, with the, you. I think the Christian culture I had a meeting with a group of pastors in, I think we were in Newport Beach is where we were at, right? And we got up and I started speaking to them about what I think the Christian... Uh, churches are not doing right. Mm. I think there's a, they don't support each other yeah. anymore as much as they used to. It's, Businesses don't help this. it's very much of, no, my congregation, my congregation, my congregation, in our congregation, we believe in sprinkle, we dip, we do this, you know, so many <laughs> so different true. things. And the m- Muslim community sounds, uh, they're more united than the Christian community. And that's why they got, what, a billion and a half people around the world. I don't know the exact number, but I think it's around 1.3 to 1.5 billion people around the world. I see more ambition there it is. Than I see on the Christian side. So I don't think this is a, a issue of religion. More the leaders at the top are not as ambici- ambitious as, as the other ones. So how can you, if it goes at this pace. Mm. And it is going donat- at this pace. By the way, donations on Christian churches have been flat for a long time. It's not going up. The only denomination that's grown, not the only denomination, there's a few that have grown. LDS Mormonism's grown very, very fast. Their denomination, the, the way they support each other. If you come out with a movie, I have to go watch it. If you have a business, I don't see that with the Christian, but I see a lot of that with the Muslim community. Yeah, of course, of course. You, so what, they're, they're, their plan, and you know, I've just seen someone put a GoFundMe up for another mosque to be opened in the in the upper reaches of Scotland, in some way out of the way island. I'm hugely uncomfortable by the fact that they beat the target by an extraordinary amount, which makes no sense. And I'm uncomfortable about it because they're colonizing Scotland as well, in my personal view. 
Well, because I always want to ask Muslims, it's my big question, you know, if Islam is so fantastic, why do Muslims always come to Christian countries for refuge? Why? To convert. I'm going to places that are non-convert. I'm not a Muslim myself. No, I'm not. But I'm, I'm not I'm, accusing I'm, you. No, no, I'm, I'm processing it as a question to give you uh, uh, my own theory. I'm coming to convert. Why go to a place when there's all Muslim? I want to come and convert you. Yeah. So then why do we let people in to convert our Christian culture? Well, at what point did we become appeasers? At what point did we go from being Winston Churchill, yeah. blah, 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 our darkest hour, fight them on the beaches? How do we go from that to all of those people out there right now that are happy to lie down, let our country be taken over, give sovereignty to Spain, tell France it can fish in our waters? What became of us? Where are my strong men? Where are my British men? It's what Americans ask me all the time. What happened to British men? If I have to put it on somebody, isn't that the fault of the churches being united on the same page to be just as ambitious and competitive to want to drive their message out? Because mm. in and, reality, and for people like me who haven't but, been religious enough. But think about it. Think about this. You believe in free enterprise. Yes, You're of course. pro-business, uh, pro, uh, pro-capitalism. Yeah, myself Ruthlessly as well. Said. So uh, competitive. Let's see who produces better yes. products. If you believe in capitalism and pro-competition, isn't there an element of that in religions as well to see who's the most competitive to be able to convert the most people? Because if that's the case, they're winning. They if totally the case, are winning. I'm very well winning. aware of the fact that the Muslims are winning here in the UK. It's the thing that's terrified me for the last 20 years. Yeah. The only difference is, of course, the Christian faith, as well as being more apathetic and not fighting for our Christian culture that so many of our forefathers did to decide to defend, is that our uh, religious scriptures, our Bible, doesn't actually go out and tell us to kill non-believers. You know, that's what those guys are reading, and that's why it's been very disturbing for me to see our daughters blown up just up the road here at Westminster Bridge, to see our daughters blown up just up the road and stabbed at dinner on London Bridge and to see all of our daughters blown up at Manchester at a concert. That is linked to that religion, whether they distance themselves from it or not. And it terrifies me that my country has fallen. And my message to America is always, do not let yourselves fall as we have fallen. Do not let yourself get to the point where you're getting emails from 87-year-olds saying, I, I'm glad that I will die before I see my country fall. And I look at Minneapolis or mini Somalia and I look at uh, Minnesota and what you guys just did in your midterms and you can't see it coming that you just changed your rules on headwear just like that. Just like that Ilhan Omar walks in, boom, change the headwear. You know, that's the start point. You start to submit, you will capitulate all the way. That's how and I feel. I, and, and, and that's a good assessment you're making. I think uh, Europe is a testing ground for U.S. Right. Well, you then know? be scared. Yeah, no, I, I, that's what I'm saying. If somebody's watching this, it, it, first you test your methods here, and then we're going to come to the big dogs, big bulls yeah. in U.S. and say, yeah. hey, let's see if we can go right. against them. That's right. almost what it seems right. like And that's the, the message from South Africa. <clears throat> I spent three weeks with South African farmers being mm -hmm. hunted off their land now. You know, they say they have two years left before there will be no whites in South Africa. And the message from South uh, African farmers is do not lay down your arms. You know, they will come for mm. your arms. And, of course, the Second Amendment is the thing that they come straight after. Do not lay down your arms. Well, you know, for me, I'm a proud Armenian, proud Assyrian, proud Iranian, and proud American. It's, it's, a, it's like a bipolar relationship. I'm, I'm, my parents are Christians. I was born and raised in Iran. There's a part of me that uh, has affinity connected to the Shah and what the regime of Iran was at the time where everyone around the world used to. The rich people used to go to Iran and party and mm. Frank Sinatra and, you know, all these and the women Elizabeth in Taylor and their yeah, bikinis and the, you know, ambassadors yeah. dating Elizabeth Taylor and just, it was like one of those things. I have a yes. Persian boyfriend, you know, there was a certain there was class, a, there a certain was. thing to it. And, and, and I'm not saying it's not there today. I'm dying to go back to Iran myself to experience it. I, I want to go back and say I haven't been there since 89, but I see some of that. So why don't we transition to a different topic here? Let's talk a little bit about your love and passion and support for, for people who are overweight, who have, are carrying some couple hundred pounds of baby fat, you know, or stones, as you guys call it here. Stones. What, where did that come out of? What, when did you start talking about okay. that? So I'm not a fan of fat people. Okay, tell me why. And I call them chubsters. <laughs> You've just okay. been on a flight. I mean, I'm sure your seat was lovely, but, you know, when someone else is, carries their leg on your leg on a flight or someone's arm is on your arm in a flight, that 
oh, it just makes my the whole of my skin crawl. What do you actually tell them when they're sitting next to you? Do you say oh, something no, to I them? Oh, no, I go, yeah, I'm gone. I ask for a different seat. Yeah, I don't travel with someone else's body parts on me. No, no, no. I'll press the button and call for help. I will say, sorry, this person... How often do they help you out and they accommodate oh, you? Oh, they'll move me because they can see I'll be a problem. But I'll say, this person, sorry, next to me, should have booked two seats. They didn't. Now they're taking up half of mine. I need to be moved. I'm straight up with that. That's no problem for me. <laughs> because when I check in, we have these budget economy airlines. I don't know. Um, and like when I check in a bag, I have to pay like $30, right? Mm -hmm. So... Look, you know, I'm 130 pounds. I'm paying for my bag, which is probably 20 pounds. I'm paying you, not you, but someone who's very large like you, who's like 250 pounds, you're not paying for this that you're carrying on with you. But I've had to pay to check my bag. Economically, we would both agree that model is flawed. I am being penalized for being skinny. So my view is that you, when you check in, you weigh in. So you weigh in at check-in and you do a cumulative total, you plus your bag, me plus my bag, and then you see if we need to pay. So if you're a fat person with luggage, you're gonna pay more and that suits me fine. And economically that principle is correct because you're internalizing the externality of the fat person. Second up, I'm 130 pounds to prove because people say, oh, you're so lucky to be skinny. You're so lucky to be skinny. You're so lucky to be skinny. And I was like, no, I'm not. If I sit on my ass, what do you call this? Bottom? Yep. Bum? You call it bum, we call it ass. Ass. If I sit on my ass and I shove food in my face, I too can be fat. And so I did. So I put on um, half my body weight. I put on 60 pounds in three months. You did that? Yeah. I was huge and I took it off again in three months to prove that fat people are lazy so that I'm not lucky to be skinny but if I do what you do and sit there oh, I can be fat too and I was really fat it was called fat and back it was so, a documentary well, it won awards so let me ask you this so what do you say what, what do you actually tell people who you meet that they say well you know it's a um oh, what's we the go. word it's a uh, uh, genetic thing it's either a genetic thing well, it's something i struggle with i struggle with depression runs in the family, I, in the family. I take you? medication yeah. it's not my fault all the excuses um that's why i did fat and back to say i was on medication christ for as an epileptic you the meds you take are off mm. the chart um, big bones don't run in the family. Like if I x-ray you, your bones are the same size as mine. That's just a, a fallacy. When you say, oh, I come from a big family. Yeah, that's because all your family eat like elephants and eat half the fridge on a Friday because you're all fat together. It's not that it runs in the family, you're just all greedy. Like get over it. So it was just about if you walk a bit more and eat a bit less, you'll lose weight. And people did. Have you heard of Lululemon, the brand? Yes, you know, I have. Okay, so I was oh, yes, it's that, that really nice stuff. Yes, right, the really it's nice the really stuff. But you know the problem with that stuff? Hmm. Fat people put on that stuff, they feel more comfy, they eat more. That's why if you're fat, you should always wear a tailored trouser because it will hurt your stomach when you start stuffing your face. A tailored trouser, because it tailored, doesn't stretch. It doesn't stretch. Yes. And that's the thing wow. I learned when I was fat yeah. is all of a sudden you go into this weird wear which is not really a size, it just expands to fit. Hmm. Hmm. You know what the founder said? He, the Chip Wilson, I was with him a few weeks ago. Were they beautiful and thin? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, a, he's in shape, you know. He's I'm in saying. his 60s, he's in his 60s and he's in shape. You try a fat person in Lululemon, doesn't look good. <laughs> but he's not on brand, <laughs> I'm telling you. Here's what he said. He predicted, he said, in 20 years, everyone's gonna be in shape. He says, because we're creating so much predictive analytics that y if you're not, everyone's gonna know why you're not in shape. Yes. So that's his- uh, Well, this is my big thing, because of course, uh, this in an American yes. sense, I sound jolly mean. In a British sense, if you think that I'm paying my taxes into a national health service, I'm paying for you if you're a fat person. Mm -hmm. I'm paying for your new hip, your new knee. I'm paying for your gastric band to try and stop you eating. And I don't want to pay for that. I don't mind if you're fat and you want to pay for it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for it. And if we just had a social insurance system where if you ran to work, you got points. If you ate a salad from this place, you got points. If you cycled or joined a gym, you got points. And that way you were incentivized to, you know, 
use an economic model to drive good behavior. That's what we do at our, at our office. Everybody has one of these. We buy yes. one of these for everybody and we pay bonuses every month if you have you a, a steps every month. So what I notice, I come God. to work and I'm seeing my guys lunchtime. They're walking one hour. I'm like, wow, yes. look at this. I lost 18 pounds. And you reward them pounds. for that. Well, no, we pay bonuses. You pay bonuses month. for if they... Every single month see, we pay bonuses. We buy these and say. we give it to you. Would you yeah. employ someone who was morbidly obese? Would I employ someone? So I, I no longer uh, uh, hire everybody at the support side. No, well, Other people are. But for me, if I'm looking at an executive, I will tell you, if I see that you can't handle your discipline when it comes down to your health, I wonder if you can handle discipline in other areas. Right. Because I'm, I'm solving for stamina and energy. How long can you last? I can't. If you're going to get tired at 4 o'clock because you're, you're dragging totally. your... No, I, and, and totally. advanced So me. I tried this on a breakfast yeah. sofa. There was a very large lady. Yeah. And I said, well, I wouldn't employ you because you're too fat, because you wouldn't have the stamina to run my day. Sure. And because at the end of the day, there may be an odor issue. Mm -hmm. And because I said this directly to a lady's face, that was seen as being, you know, hugely offensive. Where I think, actually, a bit of honesty on the planet would be a good thing. We've come a long way from being honest in order to protect people's feelings. And that's not so good. No, we have a lot of that going on in the States as well. So you, you briefly talked about taxes. Why don't we transition to taxes a little bit? Sure. So how do you feel about the current tax uh, system in the UK? In the UK, it's for, for me, I think we should be massively reducing our tax system. The state is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Got and it. therefore, of course, the designs of the state and the need to fund the state is getting more punitive on people that work because we've decided to open our borders to everyone um, who wants to come here from Afghanistan and Somalia. The burden on a taxpayer like myself is increasing. We have an increasingly elderly population and fewer people working. So unless we start to majorly reward entrepreneurial talent and reward those who run small businesses, I fear, you know, we're going to end up in a situation where we're still going to carry on taxing people to death without ever rewarding anyone. What is it right now? What is the top one? 40%. Right 40%? Yeah, so 40% of your income will just go. Is it is, is that flat for everybody? Whether no, I make so thirty grand a year or make it a no, million no, no. Year? So it's a, a, a sliding scale. Of a, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a pro progressive tax system. But if you're a small business owner, for example, you know that to me is the the yes, engine of, of this course. country. Yep. That's the part. I, you can't obviously give tax breaks to everybody. I understand mm -hmm. that, but I think we should be giving tax breaks, tax incentives to small businesses because they're the ones that struggle. And I think some of our employment uh, models as well, your American system is far better. So you have hire at will, fire at will. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. Like what do you mean? So if we take on an employee, yes. basically we've reached a system where the employee has all the rights, the employer has none. Wow. So to take on an employee is like a, almost like a noose around your neck because they're going to be very hard to move along or get rid of without them taking you to a tribunal. Literally. Literally. You can't do what the Americans California can do. California is like that. California whereas is like that. They always see it as a sort of, oh, it's protective for the employee. Whereas, of course, if you can hire and fire at will, you're more likely to hire someone as mm. well, which is always a thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that I... Um, think in terms of a small business and as a small business owner um, is maternity laws. I really like the laws in the States. I had my first pregnancy in New York and it was, I think, 12, five weeks, 12 weeks unpaid leave, mm -hmm. I think is your mm -hmm. maternity policy. You, you say, mm-hmm, as if... No, we've had many of them. I think it's around three months that yeah, they're gone. Yeah, but like you, your face is like, mm-hmm, that's normal. Yeah. The, here, you try saying that somewhere in the EU, you're stuffed. So we have 12 months like leave for maternity. Full-time pay, and you're paying You pay for, for, well, you're paying for a massive proportion of that. And now you have to give paternity leave for the father who doesn't work for you as well. See, but I think that actually goes uh, against women. It indirectly hurts women. Of course women, it does. And the government's it hurting them because... them out of the marketplace. If a, if, a, if a business owner is thinking about hiring somebody, they're going to hire a, a male who is not, so that, that I that's interesting the point some I've of those policies too. don't help them. That, and that's this is, hurt is them. The, only, the only way to have this conversation yeah. is with an American who goes, yes, I get that. You try saying this here in Europe and people are like, well, she's just, she's a misogynist, she hates women. Mm. But the truth is for a small business, a maternity can completely crucify your business. So you're, you're for 90 days is what you're Yeah, saying. of course. Okay. And uh, you chose to have a baby, I didn't. I'm your employer. I, didn't, I mean, great that you're going to have one, but I don't, I, A, I don't want to see the scam picture, and B, I don't want to pay for it. Thanks. <laughs> Never bring me a scam picture. Mm -mm, not interested. What's your sales taxes here? Sales tax in the UK is 20%. Sales tax is 20%. <laughs>
20%. You're not going to okay. like that as Let me American. put it to you this way. We're 6 to 9%. Your sales tax is 20%. Our government is greedy. But 20%? 20% I, I buy anything. a car for $20,000. I'm paying $4,000 sales tax in UK? Yes, or if I'm needing a service, obviously 20% will be added to that. That's craziness. Total craziness. And if so you're now taxed, you know, you're taxed if you earn your money, you work really hard, you're taxed at 40%, so you're taking home 60% of your money. Then you go to buy a car and you're going to lose 20% of your money again on the tax for that car. So that's why the state and the size of the state matters because they're spending so much of our no money. No doubt about it. The bigger the government gets, the more taxes they gotta keep and, and yes. the more taxes you have to pay. And what do you get in return? How strong is your military? How great are your roads? How great is your, you know, uh, any kind of public stuff that they make? And, and if you asked someone that, you know, in the rest of the UK, the Brexiteers, my kind of people, yeah. how great are your roads? How great is your military? How great are your hospitals and your schools, your public services? How great are your police force? The people in the UK will tell you, we are, this is where we're falling. This is where you can see these services just disappearing before our eyes. Our military is, is all but gone. I mean, our biggest thing is whether we can accept more trans people into the military. People are obsessed by that. Our police spend their time dressed in, you know, rainbow colours, dancing at pride parades. You know, this need to be politically correct is overwhelming us to the point where our services are so much diminished. We've become a, a shadow of what we formerly were. And I don't like to talk like that about my country. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's very obvious you love your country. Yes. Even the way you and talked about it downstairs and what you said earlier when we started the interview. Uh, and the people. And the real people in this country are amazing. But they don't have this voice. And that's the hardest who, thing. Who is that? By the way, who's the complete opposite of what you're saying that's the biggest proponent? Like, who's, whose views are complete opposite of yours? Of mine. Of yours. Like, total opposite. Like if we have Ann Coulter, we have Rachel Maddow, right? <laughs> Hypothetically, yes, right? Yes, you do. Who's a complete opposite? Rachel Maddow crying the other day. Her false tears killed me. Um, so, yes, yeah, so if I'm the Ann Coulter, you would want, oh, some crazy lefty from the Guardian newspaper. That's who you need. Do you have a name? Is there somebody that's... Yeah. So I'd love so, to meet with oh, her. Oh, there's a range. So, so, so like a Polly Toynbee. She's a lefty, but she's not that interesting and she's got bad hair. I'm trying to think of some kind of fun lefty. Maybe so a little chubby... Are good hair. Little, maybe a little chubby trans person. Let's get a chubby trans person of colour. No, but but the part the part I'm trying... Like, we're reaching out to Bernie Sanders. I, I want to sit you. down with Bernie yes. Sanders. He keeps saying no. I mean, we, we, we want to sit with Bernie Sanders because we... like. Gloria already have a lot of respect for because at least she sat and she faced she up and we had a conversation. You, yes, Jerry chats. Springer did. A lot of them did. But, but this I is always a thing. We never need to, you know, it's always my thing yeah. as well, never need to agree. Like, so to be able to engage in a conversation, yes. we never, ever need to agree. That's a universal thought I have. So when people say to me, I don't agree with everything you say, but I think you're this or I think mm -hmm. you're great or I think mm -hmm. whatever. I always want to say, but I never asked you to. I never asked you to mm. agree with anything I said. In fact, when did it become a precursor to debate that we had to agree on anything? We never did. And more people need to kind of suck that up as a message. I we totally don't need you. to agree to be able to chat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, a crazy lefty in the UK. Do you know, the thing, the thing I'm really struggling is because I just can't figure anyone kind of dynamic and fun and interesting. Okay, I don't so, want to offer up somebody hey, to you that if, will be dull. All the left are dull. If you know anybody in UK that meets the criteria we are looking for, Trans. send me a tweet. You can tag both of us. Anybody you think Trans. in the UK. Disabled. <laughs> claiming benefits. <gasps> An immigrant asylum seeker Here. from Somalia who's disabled, doesn't speak English, and is claiming benefits. That, that'd be a very Perfect. short That interview. is the opposite me. Yeah. Well, that's what you get. If you don't get me, you get a short interview with a dullard. Final thoughts. I'm going to give it to you. What are your final thoughts? Final thoughts on uh, how you view things being in the future in UK, either a, a part of a, a paranoia or optimism. What are your final thoughts here? I have massive optimism okay. because I have the fight in me and that isn't going anywhere. No matter how much they try and crush me with the police or they can take away my jobs or my home, I'm not going anywhere. Two, 
we are growing, so the right is on the rise. Gert Wilders, Salvini in Italy, the AFD, Merkel's just been removed from her post. We are building Hungary, Orban, Poland. All of these places are saying no to the EU and the populists are rising up. Three, we have Trump. We look to Trump as some kind of hope and inspiration. You Strong borders. I love Trump. I'm going to marry Trump one day. Melania better watch out. And so there's massive hope. And America, and it's the reason I commit so much time to America, is because there's still hope for America. You have not fallen as we have fallen. You still have the right to bear arms. I'm a signed up member of the NRA. So you have what I need you to defend. And I know mm. America can because America will always believe in God and the land. And those two things will keep you strong. So tremendous optimism for me. I love it. So uh, that's amazing. I love seeing your optimism in your country, in the world, and even other places. I like the fact that we had conversations. We talked about things we agreed and disagreed. And yes. I can't wait to have you back on oh. talking about other topics when thank you're in the States you. or when I'm out here. Katie, thank you so much for thank your you time. So really much. enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick B. David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.